Welcome to the this week's episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller alongside Pat Williams as always. We have a jam-packed show for you guys. We've got our prospect of the week, our team of the week. We're going to do a little segment called Stock Watch where we name three prospects that stock is going upward, three that's going downward, and all that news and notes stuff within there. But to start things out, let's discuss one of the most interesting um, pieces of news coming to the AHL recently, and that is that Coachella Valley approaching their 22nd game of the season that on the weekend that will be their home opener um coachella valley has been on the road throughout they are so so for people that don't understand um uh, pat probably be the best to, to break this down but and, and dan biles was on the show talking about this briefly but coachella so their arena is still being built or that that was the delay right that was the delay. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a long, long journey um, from, from really from September, 2019 when they announced the franchise um, until, well, basically this weekend when they finally opened the building on Sunday against Tucson. State of the art facility. Um, it, it, it's really a kind of the epitome of what the AHL is turning into in terms of the development and, and when I say development, I mean financially, just the investment rather that's going into these facilities. Henderson, biggest affiliate, was kind of the start of that new wave of, of top-notch facilities in the South. So, what have the last two months been like for Coachella Valley? Then it's been wild, right? So, um, right now they're they're winding down a 16-game road trip. Now they've been based in Coachella uh, since the early part of November, but. Um, Essentially, they've been hitting the road every weekend, uh, playing two, three games a week away from home. They've had four home games, if you can call them that, uh, back in October in the Seattle area. Um, the Kraken, who's their parent club, um, allowed them to kind of set up shop there for the first uh, couple of weeks of the season, use it as their base. And then um, eventually they made their way down to Coachella, which is essentially the Palm Springs area. Um, but, uh, you know, really, if you go back, right, like when we spoke with Dan Biosma last season, a lot of the same players were in Charlotte, uh, part of a dual affiliation with uh, the Florida Panthers. So, um, you know, if you're a young prospect in the in the Seattle system, and there aren't too many yet, obviously, with them being an expansion club, but, um, you know, you've kind of been, uh, you know, on a pretty winding path early on in your career. And, um, you know, this past two months really has exemplified that. But, through it all, um, they've been one of the better clubs in a really competitive division, um, and they come through it pretty well. Was this the plan from the onset, or was this a delay to have the arena? Because I, I wonder, with so few prospects in the system, veteran-heavy team, players were signing there, did, did they know this was going to be the situation when they signed? Yes, by this yeah, um, by this past summer, if you signed there, you would have known. Uh, but essentially what happened was, like I said, they announced the team back in 2019. Um, right. Everything looked great. Right. They had plans for a downtown arena, um, you know, upwards of $300 million, um, you know, for an arena, which is unheard of at this level, um, 11,000 seats. Um, but uh, they ran into a lot, kind of a lot of, you know, political and just, you know, the, the typical things that can come up with arena construction uh, in a downtown area. So they had to pivot. Uh, they eventually found some uh, open land outside of, Palm Springs right off the interstate there. And um, that set them back time-wise, uh, but they were able to, you know, thanks to nice weather and uh, 
favorable construction uh, conditions, uh, they were able to kind of make up some of that ground. Uh, and uh, they obviously had to open the building a little bit late this season, but um, you know they had a great sales pitch. If, if you're a if you're a player, you're a veteran player, and come play hockey in Palm Springs all winter. We we spoke with Shane, right? You know, like he had just been golfing earlier and uh you know obviously that's appealing to a lot of young players and uh, they were able to pull in you know andrew potterowski you know uh leading scorer last year so you know a lot of high high-end veterans were interested there especially because if you sign with seattle that that's a club where there may be some opportunities uh, as an expansion club so if you're kind of on that nhl ahl bubble um at worst you're going to be playing in the american league in palm springs and at best uh, you'll have a good shot at a at an nhl job in seattle it'll certainly be competing with i'm sure toronto and the other big players when it comes to free agency for those depth depth uh pieces let's get to our prospect of the week and this week's is one of the most electrifying net miners in the league and one of the best prospects in the planet um 20 year old goaltender yaroslav asakarov 11th overall pick of the 2020 draft he's the reigning AHL player of the week stopping 60 of 61 shots faced last week Long known as one of the, be- as I said before, one of the best prospects in the world, but he had a very tough start. So he had an 885 save percentage through the first eight games. And then the last eight games, he's put up a 945 save percentage, complete 180, playing at that elite level you'd expect from a player like that. What's going right for Sakharov that's kind of had him get to this point where he's in a groove and he's playing his best hockey? Yeah. So he, uh, 11th overall pick two years ago by Nashville. Um, he came in, he, he's an interesting prospect just for no other reason that he's a right-handed uh, glove, right? You know, you don't see right. tons of goalies like that. Uh, so Oskarov uh, came in, he played in the KHL, played in the Russian system, obviously. Came over late last season uh, in the playoffs, didn't get really any opportunity playing-wise, but, um, you know, he was, you know, kind of the third man on the depth chart. But uh, came in this year, worked with Devin Cooley, who's uh, another, you know, pretty solid young prospect himself. And so it's... it's kind of a 1A, 1B uh, tandem. Uh, and, uh, you know, early on, I think there was definitely some some growing pains. And the HL, I mean, if, if you watch the HL and the KHL, you can almost hardly believe it's the same sport sometimes, right? Like KHL is very tactical, very kind of a chess game. And the AHL is, you know, it's scrambly, it's wild, it's crash the net, it, it's, it's classic North American style game. And, you know, that's an adjustment for, for goalies. I mean, I talked to a fair number of them, even, even coming off college, uh, it can be an adjustment because that game's a little, it's obviously similar to the, to the HL game, but it's not the same. And, um, and you're coming now into a league where it's a different style, yet the caliber of talent is, is exceptionally high. Right. So, um, and there's some, you know, that division, especially, um, you know, some good young goaltending, um, prospects that you're up against but you're also up against some really elite offensive talent so uh the, the, he needed some time but i think the encouraging thing if you're nashville is that he, he adjusted right like it didn't take him that long um so you know you can sort of live with some of those early um hiccups in in a player's game as long as he's learning and adjusting and and pivoting and, and that's exactly what he's done now and coming off a of player of the week honor uh, he was fantastic both games and I think he's figured it out and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes because that is a Nashville Milwaukee setup is a long history of producing goaltenders. You know, you look at going all the way back to Pecorine 
um, you know, way back uh, about 15 something years ago. And, you know, more recently, you say Soros. Uh, so, you know, there's kind of a tried and true uh, plan there. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a real good setup they have him in. And there's no real pressure right now for him to, to hurry along. Like he can take his time and, and use this season to just settle into North America on and off the ice. And then, you know, maybe next year, the year after, make a real push for a job in Nashville. Just to understand how good a 945 save percentage is. Granted, that little span there is an eight-game sample. But a 945 save percentage is an under-22 goalie. That's elite production. The likes of Jack Campbell, Matt Murray, Robin Leonard, UC Saros, UC Saros um, Anton Forsberg, Tristan Jari, the list goes on and on, are players that have been close to that production in their under-22 seasons. And, you know, it goes without saying where they've ended up. So to see that from Sakharov is extremely encouraging. But even the 918 save percentage he has, scaling those two out, that's impressive in its own. So it would be very interesting to see how Sakharov continues to develop. And... For Nashville, it's definitely intriguing that, you know, the torch will be likely passed from one elite goaltender to the next. Let's get to our stock watch, Pat. We have a couple guys, three up, three down we want to go over that are sort of trending upwards, trending downwards for a variety of reasons. And for our first one, so trending upward, this is one of the most interesting prospects in the league, and that is Trey Fix-Wolanski of Cleveland. Seventh round pick, and I believe 2015, someone that, it's not his first year pro, but it's his third year pro, right, Pat? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, 29. Actually, it's his fourth year. He came in 2019, 20. Right. Depending on how you classify it, though, because he lost most of that pandemic right. season um, to an ACL injury. So, so there you go. Um, so, real kind of limited um, run of games for a player that is 23, you know, years old at this point, right? So, um, he's had to make up some ground. 25 points in 17 games this year he's popping offensively got a call up to Columbus played in four games this year you spoke to him recently I believe for an article um, that just came out be sure to check that out on ahl.com tell us about Trey Fix-Wolanski is this somebody that is on the cusp of being a regular is he still a question mark what can you tell us about the 23 year old so he's small right so like that's the first thing working against him he's 5'7 but he's built right like he's he's you know I stood next to him he's a he lifts him at 185, 186, but, you know, he, he's filled out. Like, so, you know, he's definitely got that, I think, NHL caliber strength that you need if you, especially if you are on the smaller side. Um, real scrappy. Like, you know, he, he goes to the dangerous parts of the ice. You know, he's not, he doesn't play with any fear in his game. Um, so I think that size issue becomes a lot less of an issue in that sense. Um the knock, I mean, I don't say it's a knock, but the, the challenge for him, is, you know, and I spoke with Trent Bogu, who, who were the uh, head coach there as well, is how to convert him from a player that just goes up and down the wing and, and, and looks for offensive opportunities to really being a, a well-rounded two-way player, not just somebody that can pile up points on the power play, which he certainly can. Um, but where does he fit in Columbus long-term? So that's the challenge, and that's what they're working on. Um, he's well aware of it. Um, it's a consistency issue. And a lot of it is just discarding some of the habits that worked really well for you in junior. I mean, you had a fantastic junior career, but they don't carry over necessarily to what you're going to eventually project to be as an NHL player. So in a lot of ways, you have to kind of reinvent yourself. And that's kind of the stage that he's at right now. But I think he's uh, he's starting to really 
find his way. And I think uh, he came back from Columbus pretty encouraged with uh, that experience. And I won't be surprised to see him get another shot. You'd almost think that maybe they'd be looking at him being a Nathan Gerby um, next yes. level. So where, and someone that was, you know, ended his long career in the Columbus organization, someone that is undersized Gerby is like five, four or five, five, but is able to bring other things to the bottom of your lineup. Someone that's trending down. Okay. And this is Alex Turcotte. This is it's an interesting case because injuries have certainly affected him. I think, you know, it'd be way too young to, to write him off. High first round pick in 2019 of the Kings. He, he's got a great skill package, but the problem for him really is, is twofold. He's being kind of leapfrogged in what is a deep system in Los Angeles. And, you know, and further to that, his offensive production hasn't really popped um, at the AHL level. And for that, you know, until that happens, it's hard to really see him being what he was drafted to be, a, a top six sort of shutdown, a two-way center, um, if you will. But what's been going on for, for Alex Tricot and, you know, what's led to him kind of trending downward and sort of lower on that ceiling scale? Yeah, so he's he's an interesting case, and I, I kind of call him the pandemic year players, right? So he came in, uh, it's obviously a very disjointed type of season, you know, through no one's fault, but it just is what it is. Right. Uh, he came in there, he had, had some good success, really ran into injury issues the last year. I think that really started to stall some of that, that development. Uh, you know, he's in his third year now. He's only played 77 pro games. Right. Um, and before that, he only had one year of uh, college play, and that was at the University of Wisconsin. So in a lot of ways, I mean, you know, he's 21, right? But, you know, game-wise, you know, he's, he's not anywhere near that that age. And, and so that's been the challenge, right? You know, and obviously you're coming off an injury situation. Um, you know, he was hurt last year in the playoffs. You know, he had battled back all year. You know, finally kind of found his his way, and then he gets hurt again, right? So it's kind of like, you know, I think in some ways, like I think back to Gabe Velarde, right? You know, another first-round pick that came in and obviously all kinds of potential, then ran into injury issues. And, you know, I think some teams would have been impatient and maybe written them off, uh, but I think to L.A.'s credit, they stuck with it. And I think that's what they're doing with Turcotte, right? Like you, you, he's a fifth overall pick, right? So you're gonna you're gonna do everything possible to make this work. And I, I think you know you have a player that's willing to do that. You have obviously the NHL club is willing to do it. So I, you know I think it's I'm still still optimistic for him, right? 21. I I, I agree with you. you. Never write off a player at that age, especially when um, he's had to go through a lot of obstacles already. Well, look what, what Chicago, the mistake they made by, by trading Kirby Doc, the third overall pick of that draft class. They weren't patient with him, and and he's making them pay for it. He's been what everyone thought he would be in Montreal by virtue of the fact of patience, opportunity, and just sort of natural um, maturation that comes w- with a young prospect. Now, looking upwards, the next guy we want to talk about is Fabian Lazelle of the Providence yeah. Bruins. Um, Boston infamously has had horrible luck with first round picks, honestly. Um, but with Lizelle, they seem to maybe found um, a nice gem in, in, in the first round of uh, the draft. Uh, drafted 21st overall in 2021. He's got 17 points in 19 games. I believe he's off to the World Juniors with Sweden. I haven't seen much rust from this guy. I haven't seen much, uh, you know, adjustment that has to come from it. To, for my money, you know, he looks like he's, I wouldn't say sort of like David Pasternak was, that'd be high praise um, in his rookie year. 
where he kind of popped off and Boston no choice but to bring him up eventually. But Bozell isn't far off. Absolutely not. It's funny. I just spoke with Ryan Mujanel, the head coach there, and, you know, they're getting ready to uh, send him off, uh, you know, to, to the world junior uh, experience. And obviously it's a big loss for their lineup, but they're, they're thrilled to give him that opportunity to play for Sweden. He's, he's going to be a, one of the key guys right there. And, and that the point Mujanel made was, you know, if you project down the road, like Lysel, that he's going to be in a lot of those situations where he has to be one of those key guys. So this is going to be a great opportunity for him to fit that role now as a 19 year old, get that experience, come back all the much better for it uh, in January, back to Providence and then have a good strong second half. So that's, that's kind of the plan they have laid out. And, you know, obviously plans can go you know skew, but I mean, he's really mature, um, very got a good head on his shoulders for, for a young player. Um, he's coming and he's, you know, the skills obviously, very abundant and anyone can see that you know five minutes after watching him but the head is where i think he really is is strong and uh so this is gonna be a great opportunity um i think nhl teams love when they can get a player into the hl for the first uh, couple months send them off to the world junior during you know when the hl season can kind of start to become a grind recharge come back for a good second half and that's exactly what they have with him Speaking of players going to the World Juniors, another one is Brad Lambert, who I pegged as somebody that's trending down. Very interesting situation here. I'm not one to, I'm not saying that his trajectory, his potential is trending down, but you know, let's for where we're at in the season, let's call it what it is in terms of what you want to see from Brad Lambert after the last two years where he struggled in pro in Finland. It's been a disappointing start for him in Manitoba. There's been growing pains as there will be, but you know, three points in 14 games. He's got, he's off to the World Juniors with Finland. I gotta think, you know, he very well might be going back to Seattle after this, which again isn't a slight on him, but I think for someone like Lambert, who, as I alluded to a bit before, in his last two years in Finland, he kind of was struggling to, to identify a role on a pro team as a an underage teenager, which led to less puck touches, less opportunities. And what you're seeing now with Manitoba is sort of those growing pains that that are happening and that adjustment to the pro game. And in virtue by virtue of that less opportunity to be an offensive player and get that confidence. So I think he, you know, I think there's a strong possibility he goes back to Seattle, Pat. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what he needs, that's what he needs. Exactly. Good play Matt Odette there with the Thunderbirds. They're going on a long run too. Yeah. Good, good experience coach. So he'll get a great opportunity. I think wherever a player is, you want him to be one of the, the men, the guys, right? Like right. you want him you don't want him to be a, a fringe player, a third, fourth liner, you know? So if, if he has to go a step back, he's 18, right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, maybe next year he's a 19 year old in the HL, right? And then he's ready. So yeah. there's nothing. I mean, I think we, I mean, you, obviously we live in a very impatient world and hockey is a very impatient business, mm-hmm. but if, if you can resist that temptation, you know, to, to rush players or to, uh, to get impatient, uh, you come out, so much better and if you that's one of the common denominators across all the top nhl clubs is they have that ingredient like steve eiserman does it in detroit did it in tampa tampa's obviously one of the model franchises for it pittsburgh did that for a long time you know so you boston has always been good with that you know boston's always been able to churn out two or three players every year in province because they're willing to take the time and invest that right so um every player has their own path um so if if 
yeah, if he has to go back to Seattle, no problem, right? Do it. Come back stronger next year. You, you take the experience you did get in Manitoba, um, and you'll be that much better long term. And, and you know, the long term is what matters. Short term is just a means toward getting you toward a better long term. Absolutely. Um, now let's go to our last player that we have treading upward, and that is David Jerasek drafted uh you know in this past year's draft actually so he's an 18 year old as well from lambert's uh draft and i texted a scout about him and by the way sorry uh jerisic was drafted sixth overall the 2022 draft i should mention that i texted a scout that that watches him a bit and i said what's the 401 on him and he texted me back in all capitals one word stud and that seems to be in line with what you've heard as well pat yeah um spoke with Vodal Hoover about him and you know pretty pretty extensively and um He's raw, right? Like, but all the all the ingredients are there, you know. And it's now you got to kind of harness that, right? Like, how do you take this this guy with you know a motor that doesn't quit and somebody that you know you know basically if, if you let him, he'd be out, be out there all sixty minutes. Um, how, how do you how do you corral that a little bit and, and channel that into a player that can you know pick his spots, no you know know when to press the play, know when not to. Um, that's what he's trying to get done in, in this year in Cleveland. Right. And, you know, there's um, they're willing to be patient. Right. You know, and, and, you know, he has a kind of a good base uh, of talent around him. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would completely agree with that assessment from the scout. Um, stud is a perfect description. Um, you know, all, all the potential in the world. Now you just got, it's just, you got that little bit of that raw product. Now you just have to kind of, mold it right and, and get it to to that nhl level but uh i i expect to see him in columbus second half and at worst next season you know full-time jerasek has 13 points in 15 games has had a two-game stint with the blue jackets this year you know making his debut and as pat said very uh looking very poised to move on to the next level at some point this year last guy treading down ty smith of the wilkesbury Scranton penguins and pittsburgh penguins organization I think we talked about it on the first episode of this show and it was t- it was one of those things where was smith who was traded for john marino and he can't control that but that trade's looking pretty good for um the devils with marino being a near norris caliber guy this year ty smith first two years in the nhl usually all rookie team in his first year he's in the hl now and when some people said oh he's just there because pittsburgh needs to move a defense or whatever well, we're about, you know, 20 games in, and that's clearly not the case. This player needs further seasoning. He's still young. I get that. Um, but it's definitely not encouraging for a guy like that with, how you know, over 100 NHL games, NHL rookie team, to be still in the AHL in that third year, and his play is kind of tapered down a bit as well here. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we spoke about that. What a strange career trajectory, right? You come in, you, yeah. you skip the AHL level altogether, uh, your 17th overall pick. You come in, you have a fantastic uh, start, um, you know, all working team, you know, everything's going great. And then um, last year you run into some turbulence, um, you find yourself uh, traded to Pittsburgh. You, you do get in that weird situation because of the cap and everything there. there. And obviously Pittsburgh's a team that's going for it still. And um, you, you find yourself down in, in Wilkes-Barre Scranton and that that's, listen, that's an adjustment for players, no matter what they say. Um, to go through that, uh, you know, but uh, I just want to see him dominate down here. Right. And I don't mean dominate offensively. I mean, dominate as a player that can 
shut down plays, someone that can, you know, be an eraser almost like, you know, when there's mistakes around him, that he's the guy that solves those mistakes. Um, you know, if I think if he can do that, that, that will be, that'll be what matters, you know, not so much that, you know, he can, um, put up points. I mean, he's, we know he can put up points. He can do so at the NHL level. So certainly at this level, he can do that, but really get strong on the other side of the puck. Because again, this is not about what you're trying to do right now. It's about how do you get him to be a 10 year pro? Um, that's, that's the real goal here. And if you can do that, you know, you have something now this is, but it is a bit of a precarious time right now, you know, in a player's development that he's in that weird in between stage. And uh, if you don't manage it correctly, you can go sideways. Um, and I've seen that time and time again. So this is a, uh, this is a delicate um uh, procedure, if that's the right word, uh, for JD Forrest, the head coach there, and the rest of the coaching staff, and really off Pittsburgh, uh, to get this right and uh, to get him back up to Pittsburgh when the time is correct. Let's get to the team of the week, and for us, that's the Dallas Stars, and we're going to go over their prospects kind of in rapid fire, quicker form here. The first one I want to talk to you about is Matej Blumel, um, one of the best forwards in the HL this year, 22 year old. Drafted by the Oilers in 2019, wasn't offered a contract, signed as an undrafted free agent, or sorry, not undrafted, he was drafted, uh, signed as a free agent out of Europe um, from playing the Czech League. He's got 16 points in 16 games, one of the best forwards in the league this year, got called up to Dallas, scored a goal, seeming like, uh, you know, on the cusp of being a regular for Dallas, uh, if not this year, certainly next year. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously Dallas is having having some success, but... um... Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him this year, but certainly next year. Uh, what a find, right? Like, you know, not a find exactly, but, you know, what a what a move to pick him up. Uh, you know, I think if you're Edmonton, you might be kicking yourself a little bit. But, uh, you know, I like what I like about him is that he played a couple of years in the USHL, so he kind of got a taste of that North American game. Went back to Europe, familiar territory, obviously, for him. Rounded some things out as a, as a pro, and then came over here ready to go. And, you know, he hit the ground running in Texas. Thomas Harley. Um, you know, one of the most intriguing prospects in Dallas's organization. He, you know, he was someone where he's definitely on the sort of on the fringe of, of maybe making the roster. But when Niels Lungfist was acquired, sort of spelt, uh, you know, the end for him. Six foot three defender, can skate really well, smooth player, has a, you know, he, to me, he screams top four defender, 18th overall pick in the 2019 draft. He, and as I said, it seemed like he's on the cusp because he played 34 games last year with Dallas, but. You know, with that, there were some players acquired, and he's in the AHL this year. As I said, he just screams top four defender, and I think you know it's only a matter of time before he's in the NHL. Yeah, I agree. Um, key for him now this year in Texas is kind of a lot like Ty Smith. It's it's not about what he can do offensively so much as as learning how to be a dependable defenseman, and you have to first do that at this level before you can even begin to think about the NHL level. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a challenge. That's kind of what's eluded, eluded him at different times. Um, that's the the mandate uh, for him going down to Texas. Dallas, sure, they could have kept him they, if they wanted to find a way uh, on the NHL roster, but they, you know, I think they made the right choice. Uh, that You know, he's just not ready yet. Um, he has to rent out the game more. Um, but, like, I, I agree with you. Top four potential for sure. Uh, considerable uh, amount of talent uh, with the puck. Now it's just learning this other side of the game and really mastering it. And I think 
that's what will get him into the NHL and get allow him to stick there because it's not just getting there. It's, uh, you know, how long can you become a, you know, reliable um, contributor? And I, I think that's what really matters. Another guy we'll talk about is Riley Damiani. Another one of the sort of COVID kids, if you will, mm-hmm. came in, had a strong start with them, but has a sort of, um, I don't want to say phased out, but you know, he's got 11 points in 20 games uh, this year. Uh, he's had a stint with, with Dallas last year, certain points, but when he came in that COVID year, he had 36 points in 36 games the next year, uh, which would be last year, 36 points in 55 games. Now he's around half a point a game. So what's kind of the situation with him and, and has maybe the balloon popped a bit or is it popping in terms of, you know, his upside? Yeah. You know, he's a really interesting case. Um, you know, this is a case where I think, you know, I think sometimes opponents figure you out a little bit. You have to adjust. And I think that's where he's at. Um, I think he's working on it. And um, that's what the HL is about. It's about, it's going to throw a million different obstacles at you. Um, uh, things you've never seen before. Um, you've, you've succeeded your whole way up through, you know, through, you know, um, minor hockey and you know, OHL and everything. Right. And then you, you hit some turbulence and especially I think coming off that really strong pro that first pro season, but that was a strange year. Remember that wasn't the typical level of the AHL last year is when it got back um, to what, you know, the, the more standard AHL level of talent. And even that was still a little disjointed with the, you know, cancellations and everything. Um, you know, he did get a little bit of time in Dallas uh, last year. That was great. No, but now this is that third year. This is that, you know, every year is important, but that third year is when you really do get into that, I don't say make or break, but um, that's where you really have to show that next step. And I think that's where he's at. Um, you know, I know that they're working a lot with him, um, you know, as they do with any player, you know, that's, that's a very good development system, but um, yeah, I want to see him dominate, you know, and that's you know, kind of that last four months of the season here. I think that will be what he has to do. The last one we'll talk about is Maverick Bork. First round pick in the 2020 draft coming off a really strong year. The Shawinigan cataracts 16 points in 31 games. That's over two points per contest. Slower start for him, eight points in 23 games with the De- Texas Stars. 20 years old, little, you know, little ripe, not necessarily too ripe yet um, as a raw player, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's, uh, I mean, I, I'd say it's too early to judge him given how we're only 23 games in and, and someone like him could very well go on a, a stretch of a seven game point streak or whatnot and, and bump those totals up. Yeah. You know, I think people look at the numbers and, you know, they'll start, you know, kind of panicking a little bit, but um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not even concerned about him yet, right? Like, just get through that first couple months as a pro. Uh, that's just growing pains. We'll check back on him in the second half. I think it's, it, there's no issue right now. We'll for sure be sure to do that and, and follow up on the other uh, rookie pros and how they do in the second half, because that's usually when these guys take off after that fall adjustment period. But in terms of this week's episode, we're going to sign off Thank you for joining, and uh, we have one more episode coming up until we take a little bit of a break for the holidays, but we'll have a lot in that before we, we take a break here.